Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, a question of context and perspective. I'm joined by return guest Daniel in his one-year anniversary of guesting on the pod to discuss the big ideas of Moon Knight episodes 3 and 4. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can also support the podcast by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am once again joined by an MCU podcaster's best friend, Daniel. When he is not guesting on this podcast or on MCU Need to Know, he is a teacher, and I'm thrilled to welcome him back to the show to talk about Moon Knight. Daniel, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, TK. I'm very excited to be back to talk about Moon Knight with you. Yeah, the last time we spoke on the podcast, we were talking about Eternals. And believe it or not, listeners, Daniel and I have continued to even talk about Eternals beyond that um, over over social no. media and <laughs> messaging each other. So Eternals has definitely um, been, been a subject of conversation for us. And I'm intrigued to think about particularly you bringing in your perspective related to work that you've done in in theology and the questions that you and I examined related to Eternals, thinking about how those may apply or not to Moon Knight. So I'm excited for that. You and I didn't have an opportunity to talk about Hawkeye on the podcast. So I'm curious if now that Hawkeye has aired and we're well into the run of Moon Knight, do you have any evolving thoughts on the MCU series and how these series are interacting with the larger MCU or their function or even just uh, how you are receiving them? Yeah, um, I think that uh, Hawkeye was like similar to WandaVision and Loki. You brought in this OG character. You had uh, the reintroduction of Yelena. I, I don't know if I've had a chance to say this on your podcast yet, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed Hawkeye. One of the things I will say is um, people have been making comparisons to, to the, the Marvel uh, TV series, the Netflix series, Daredevil mm-hmm. and those, those runs. And I think that I, I agree with that. It's like the street level MCU, you know, close up fighting and, um, and just the, the, the other thing that I think it did really, really well was bridge the, the old and the new TK, you and I, we talk all the time about these shows, even <laughs> though I'm not on your podcast. But um, the introduction of Kate Bishop is she's just a wonderful, a wonderful addition to the MCU. Yeah. And um, Haley Steinfeld, just incredible actress portraying her. So I've been I'm very excited about um, Hawkeye. I know that I just read somewhere that they're starting to. They're prepping for Echo, which I guess yeah. is s- something of a soft um, sequel to to the Hawkeye series. It's going to pick up on on those characters, um, and I think there's there's some there's some overlap and overlay between some of the films and the series in terms of uh, their choices and in in, in uh, uh, actors and representation. You know, you have the the the, the deaf actors um, playing you know Makari and and Echo the right. the uh, the uh, the introduction of of these of these more diverse casts, I think, strengthens the M- MCU, and um, and then there's there's the other piece 
um, that I'll save for later that that you mentioned about the Eternals and and the gods and and those kinds of things. I think Moon Knight picks up on on that grittier side. It's more down to earth. It's more um, street level, so to speak. And um, I think that it's a great take on um, this universe. It's it's really uh, it's really fresh, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, before we talk some more about Moon Knight here today, I do want to shout out a couple of listeners who reached out on Twitter to respond to some of the queries that I put forth in episodes 7.1 and 7.2. So Twitter user at M Crooked Letter Y responded to my question about who who our main point of view character is. And I was I was expressing an appreciation for getting to know Stephen first. And I was wondering about how that compares to the comics. So this Twitter user writes, quote, the show flips the base persona of Moon Knight. In the comics, Mark Spector is the base persona and Stephen Grant is one of his three personas. And also says that the, back, uh, the Batman facsimiles are present with Grant. So I thought that was interesting. Thank you for reaching out and sharing uh, sharing that. And Twitter user at BuddhaBaby6MY responded to my musings on connections between Moon Knight and other parts of the MCU and some of my wonderings about the gods in the MCU. And they said, quote, another loose connection between Moon Knight and elsewhere in the MCU is Black Panther. In Egyptian mythology, Khonshu is brother to Bast. Bast led Wakanda to the heart-shaped herb. So I thought that was interesting. Did you know that, Daniel? I didn't know that. I did not know that. That's absolutely fascinating. Fascinating, right? And that's going to add that adds more to kind of the the, the I developing theme that that you and I just kind of connected about before we started um, yeah. on the the question of the gods. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you are enjoying Moon Knight so far. How did the show live up to your expectations? Were you expecting something different? What surprised you about the show? Yeah, I well, I was expecting. Um, a, a kind of blend of different genres just based on what I know about Moon Knight and what we've been talking about as fans and um, some of the choices, you know, based on the trailers and stuff. But all of these elements kind of mixed together with the psychological thriller because we knew that, you know, that the character, um, you know, suffered from a form of DID and that was a piece of the story. Also the kind of impinging horror elements, which was an open question on, on Disney plus, how is this going to be incorporated? And then also the kind of adventure type, because we know it involves Egyptian gods and stuff. So I was expecting all of these things. And, but at the same time, I didn't know how it was going to all fit together at all. I really, I mean, so I had high, I actually, I'll be honest, I had high expectations, but that's simply because Oscar Isaac is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yes. I am a huge fan of Oscar Isaac. And so pretty much anything you put up, the, like I could just watch him. I, after the first episode, I was messaging all my friends. I could just watch him for six episodes. Just do his thing. Cause he's amazing. He's my guy crush. <laughs> totally agree. And especially after the video that you sent me earlier today of him performing his hippopotamus song on Jimmy Fallon. You have to link that in your show notes because absolutely it is, it is, I've watched it 10 times. Maybe it's in my head. <laughs> Fantastic. We are going to be talking about two episodes of the show today, episode three, The Friendly Type, and episode four, The Tomb. So before we get into where we're seeing some of these themes and talking about some specific moments from those episodes, just kind of broad thoughts, if you could bring yourself back to 
when you first saw episode three, what did you think of it? Yeah, I remember um, being surprised at the kind of soft intro of the underlying mythology of the of the universe of, of this Moon Knight universe. You know, similar to the um, in Eternals with the Celestials and Shang Chi with the with the rings and the the alternate reality, uh, you know, realm where they go. That was very much in your face. This was like, oh, they're they're in a they're in the 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 pyramid of Giza, and there's a bunch of gods, and there's the other void. I I really actually liked that that very in, indirect way of of mentioning it, you know. And it's almost like they're all together and talking about it. Like we all know what we're talking about, and you're the viewers. It's like, what are they talking about? I like that form of storytelling because the emphasis is on the characters and their interactions, which I'm vested in. And then the world building that's going on around is almost like a puzzle. So it, it, that's how I, I like books and, and, and movies that do that, that kind of throw you in and you're forced to kind of figure it out. Um, and it puts a lot of trust in the, in the writers that they actually have thought about it and, and they're not just kind of throwing one-offs, Sure. which I think is, you know, these are real, the writing, the writer's rooms know that people are going to be asking these questions. So I'm, I'm vested. So that was one of the, that was one of the big, big things that I remember about it. Um, the, the other big takeaway broad thought about, about um, episode three was I, up to that point, the, the character of Khonshu was, he, he was, he, he kind of sucked, right? Yeah. He was just like, <laughs> man, he's such a jerk. I mean, he's, he's just like, everything's utilitarian. Um, my only thought was like, it was a kind of a power grab. Like he was, he saw himself in competition with right. Amit and Amit was bad and he's good. And he's just using these humans to do what he wants. And after episode three, um, he, he exhibits, you know, self-sacrifice. He starts to warm up to Steven. Um, you, I, I, I saw character growth. And so that to me was the other, the other takeaway. Yeah, that's a really great point. I hadn't really considered, well, I hadn't really considered that character growth for Kanshu, although you're absolutely right that we actually see a little bit more of um, what he what he stands for in episode three. Mm. And we can talk a little bit more specifically about the scene in which in which he's speaking through Mark's body uh, to the Ennead. We can talk about that yeah. in a little bit. But I also really appreciate the way that you framed the storytelling in episode three, because that helps me rethink about it a little bit. Because when I first saw episode three, I'll be honest, it did kind of throw me at first, not to say I didn't enjoy the episode, but I was kind of bummed to leave London and to leave Stephen, yeah. because Stephen had such a, a powerful impact on me in the first couple of episodes. And I liked that world we were in. At mm -hmm. the same time, obviously, episode three, it's important that it's widening the scope. And to move to Cairo and to be in this other environment is both really cool and obviously important for this particular story, but also is a landscape within the MCU that we haven't seen before. And all of the aesthetics that go along with that, I think, are really awesome. The music has been fantastic. And the visuals in episode three are gorgeous, like when they're in the boat and then when they're when they're setting the the sky uh, to to the, the pattern of the stars to that specific yeah. night. It really looks insane. So those were some of my my kind of standout general thoughts from episode three. And then moving into this past week with episode four, The Tomb, I was I wasn't sure. I'm like, where are we going here? The tone has kind of been 
all over the place a little bit. I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way, but more just kind of like, where are we going to land? We've had some more elements of horror. We've had some more elements of comedy. A lot of episode three felt like, oh, we're in an action adventure show. And the first half of episode four really feels like an, an action adventure show. And in fact, a little bit slow even at, at the beginning, which it's not mm-hmm. a bad thing. I don't I don't think it's a bad thing for the MCU to explore some some slow um, types of, of storytelling. It felt very much like an adventure movie in that Indiana Jones style. But then episode four, once I kind of was getting comfortable with that, threw us for an entire loop with that twist of sorts. So where episode four leaves me is feeling incredibly intrigued. And depending on where this goes next and how how this lands, this might be something that I absolutely love and and consider among my favorite elements of of the MCU in terms of storytelling, depending on where it goes next. I we don't know yet. But what did you think of episode four? Uh, I mean, for sure, the 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 final scene of episode four d- does does one of those, you know, turn turn turns everything on its head, draws you in in a way that you had you hadn't been before. Um it's it's jarring and and i think it's it's obviously intentional um i'm a big fan of of the show lost and that was a regular occurrence either by season or by depending on which character was was the the focal character of that episode mm-hmm. um they, they would they would do things like that where they would just pull the rug out from from under you and leave you at the end of the episode wondering is this all real and and the point that that i the the point is not to 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 undermine the 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 reality of the show. I mean, the show goes on and it and it and it happens, but it's to make you feel like the character feels, which is is any of this actually real? Right. And so that's that's why I think I think it's it's a very cool. I've got some questions about it though. I'll leave that to the end. Um, as far as the the, the lead up to that, I thought um, I wasn't as um, I guess I wasn't, a lot of people expressed what you said about episode three mm-hmm. that like, oh, we didn't get as much Steven. I adore Steven and his voice is so strong. And I actually appreciated how episode three gave us more, more of Mark because it filled out his character a little bit more. And cause, uh, you know, the expectation was, oh, Mark Spector is the, is the, the, the base character who like leads a life. And Steven is like this, this uh pop-up you know personality who's kind of co-opted Mark Spector's life and Mark Spector has a wife and he's got you know he's a spy and he does all these things and Steven kind of impinged on that but by starting with Steven it completely subverts that expectation and now you're like rooting for Steven so I think that was intentional on the on the part of the writers but I really like how you know by the end of that episode of the the end of episode three when Steven emerges to help it's not even like he doesn't even he just helps. It's it's like he's now in control. He's the one with the power and Mark is the one who doesn't know what to do and he's powerless and he's he's like emotionally so vulnerable. And then when when you get into episode 4, I wrote like one of the first reactions I was like was Steven and Layla and that the steamy kind of flirty <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's really thick actually mm-hmm. and and then there's all those layers of 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 character development for for Layla between her and Mark and, and her dad and the way that Harrow dips his, dips his hand in and stirs it up. And, and in the way that he's really good, good at. Um, and then the other thing is, is the, we've seen that the kind of 
quote horror elements, the, the really kind of intense thriller, it, it landed here better than it has so far. I mean, it's been good, but like with the, with the clicker monster, yes. I call them the clickers. I don't know. <laughs> that was terrifying. Agreed. And it was like, it was one of those things, you know, it's coming, you know, it's happening and it's still terrifying. And so I thought they really landed that very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking to a lot of the elements that from, from these two episodes that I think worked really well. And I, I'll say this too, some of my initial reactions to, especially with episode three of not being entirely sure how much I was in it. I do think um, upon rewatch, it feels different, right? Like it feels mm -hmm. more of the same piece with episodes one and two. And then especially I think episode four kind of brought home a lot more of that connection, as you said. But let's transition into talking a little bit about big ideas that we're seeing here. The There was an idea about, so when we were looking at, when I was looking at episode one, I was like, okay, this is obviously an identity story. We're always going to kind of connect it back to that larger concept. And this is a unique identity story and has the capacity to be a very, a very complex one. And then in episode two, there were also these questions being brought up about justice and vengeance. And so I was making those connections in the previous episodes. And I think obviously those themes continue here. And I also think that episodes three and four introduce some new ideas and, and further complicate those as well. So whether it be episode three or four or both, what are some of the big ideas or themes that you that you see emerging here? Sure. Um so I'll start with the there the idea about mental health. And so both both of my ideas connect with the broader broader themes, I think, of phase four. I don't know why my mind just went there. So um, oh, great. you talked about identity with episodes one and two. Three and four, I think, continue that, especially with the final the final scene taking place in a mental hospital. It's it's obviously, I mean, it's symbolic. Um, it's um, metaphysical. It's ontological. It's like asking you to question all these things. And uh, but it, it's certainly by by focusing on this, it carries you know it, it carries these these questions of identity and uh, how how we as people deal with emotions and, and problems and, and things like that. So um, this, this show, I guess, is using that as a narrative device, but I think it's, it's also trying to do it in a way that's not completely utilitarian. And mm -hmm. I think that that also functioned the same way in WandaVision because it was, it wasn't until like the third or fourth episode when everyone's like, oh, the main villain is grief. You know, it's not right. Mephisto. Right. Um, and, and then and then we're really wrestling with with uh with the character. And, and here, it, you know, especially in episode three, when Khonshu is so frustrated uh because he's trying to call out Harrow, but he's like, he's he's the he's kind of like the the bad kid who's actually did good this time and he's trying to. <laughs> highlight like, no. And they were like, you know, whereas Harrow is like prepared for class, he's the one who's doing bad, but he's prepared for class. So he comes off really polished. He makes, he makes Khonshu looks like, looks like a crazy person. Fantastic analogy. Um, and, and, yeah. And, and he's, he's, he's gaslighting everybody. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, and then Harrow goes in for the kill. Harrow's so, such a great character. He's so well-written because he, he's almost always speaking the truth. But it's like selective towards his ends. Yes. Um, in in a way that's extremely self-serving. So the conversation with Layla, which is completely contrived, like he just happens to come across the giant pit, so they can't get to each other. Um, it is just it's a little it's a little strained. 
But like yeah. that conversation is so important and it really, really messes things up for Layla. And so um, I thought that was, I thought that was really, really interesting. So he, he's really good at poking and, and he does that to, to Khonshu by highlighting Mark's damage, you know, and vulnerability. And then Mark himself, which is a huge moment for the character to admit that he's broken, that he's in pain, that he needs help. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so there's that. Um, I have one other idea, but I don't know if you wanted to talk about this one first. Everything that you're saying is making me think a lot about, about all of these questions. I, and I'm, I'm going through and I'm, I'm kind of processing because I think the moments that you just mentioned, especially that moment with Mark admitting that he, that he needs help. I'm trying to find the specific line that he says, he says, I am, I'm unwell, I need help, which is really, mm-hmm. really powerful. And it connects to this larger idea of identity. And I have some other connections that I want to make related to this concept of identity and the concept of mental health, as you say, the the mental illness that we see depicted and then how it's depicted at the end of episode four. I think my ideas are still in progress, but mm. there's something to... There's something to what happens at the end of episode four, and and you're right, it it's it's metaphysical, and we're looking at the, this concept of reality and what is real and what can we trust, and then connecting that to the idea of the identities, right? Like we see this character get shot, and then f- like this imagery of falling and floating and flying, kind of all at once, and it begs that question of like, well, is one of the identities dying right and we see steven in a sarcophagus and then we see another sarcophagus hinting at potentially another identity and there's this idea that the identities have died and i wonder to what extent this is subverting the idea of like in order for this person to become healthy he needs to come back to himself and kill these other identities versus actually no he is waking these other identities back up and they, they, they embrace. Yeah. They embrace. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Like it it, is. they actually meet for the first time and it's really beautiful. And also it's really great to see Oscar Isaac hug himself. Yeah. Um, but, hey, um, and then, and then, yeah, like it's, it's a, it's a, cause that's been the challenge, right. Is like, they can't work together. They don't right. trust each other, but it's really like a metaphor. I don't trust myself. Right. I can't tr- you know, I, I embracing I all I, aspects of myself. Yeah. Which to your yeah. point too, thinking about some of the larger themes of phase four of the MCU, there we've seen that a lot. We've seen the coming face to face with oneself. We saw it in Loki. We see it <laughs> Literally. in Spider Man. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's yeah. become no, very thought. literal. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. so it's it's mm-hmm. so it's interesting. And as I say, I think I think I'm still kind of developing, you know, my my theory on exactly what this all means and what they're trying right. to suggest here but that imagery is really strong. So what what's your second what's your second big one because I have some other thoughts too but they might connect to what you're going to say. Yeah, sure. So um the other idea is th- the one that you and I have been talking about uh already about um and I'm pulling this from from an article that you sent me so I I, I recommend that you you uh, connect it to the show notes is um contemplating the divine. That phrasing yes. is taken from from the article, but it, 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 it connects with this, this, um, this, uh, they're very explicitly introducing the, the gods and, um, you know, this just occurred to me, this will also come up in Thor 
because the main character, the main villain is, is, you know, the God killer, I think. So, I mean, there's this, there's this, um, um, and I, I have issues with, with the phrase, the using the, the word God is fraught, um, because most, most superhero, you know, stories and, and movies and all these things present gods as just really, really, really powerful beings, Mm -hmm. which is what you get with the Eternals and with the Celestials. I mean, they're just really, really, really powerful. Um, and the same thing with Thor, um, and to some extent, you know, the, 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 the spirits, demons, the, the, the dragon and Shang-Chi, you, you brought up Kang in our conversation, I think, or maybe it was the article. Um, but it's like Kang is, is definitely like a a quasi divine Mm -hmm. figure in the sense that he just has this omniscience, uh, towards all of reality. And then you have the Egyptian gods, which I think are actually, it's, it's, it's on a sliding scale. It's moving more towards uh, a conception of the divinity that is more in line with what, what you see in, in different spiritual traditions about like, they're, they're not just really, really powerful beings. They're, they're separate from reality. They're not just existing in our reality, but they're really right. strong. They're actually separate from reality. So like these, these Egyptian gods cannot interact with the world except through an avatar. That's different than the Eternals. It's different than Thor. That's different from, you know, even the the dragon is in another realm, but he could fly into our realm. I don't know. These gods are invisible to everyone except for the avatars. That's new. So there's that. Um, I guess um, it's an unformed thought, but I'm I'm building it out a little bit. We see how the Eternals um, relate to humanity and the way that they informed or influenced humanity. And that was kind of very, very interesting. Um, this is the same, like there's, there are a, a group of, of very strong, you know, powerful beings that are gods that influenced humanity, not so much anymore, but they, they can influence humanity and they right. have their reasons and, and whatnot. It's different than the Eternals. It's different than, than, than Thor, you know, which is, it functioned the same way, well, like the origins of, of Norse mythology and stuff. So I I'm interested um, in kind of comparing these. I think it's, it's, it's more at the forefront um, with phase four and we see it again in moon night. And I didn't expect it. I guess I, I don't know why I didn't expect it because we're dealing with an Egyptian God, but I, I didn't expect it. So it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I completely agree. And the, the article that you are referencing is called moon Knight finally tries to tell a different kind of Marvel story by Joshua Rivera on Polygon. And I will link to it. And there's a line in there related to what you're discussing. It says, as this phase of the MCU moves in directions beyond the Avengers, it's exploring the idea of heroes and villains as avatars for otherworldly cosmic cosmic forces, agents in a divine chess match where the players are shrouded in mystery and frustratingly indirect. So I think that speaks to what you're getting at, that this is something new to the MCU as much as we have seen reference to and and have interacted with characters who are referred to as gods before in Thor in the Thor films there's this suggestion that this um magic and science connection right yeah. which seems like uh, a real assertion of like well this, no this is not about the divine in any sort of way right this is this can all be explained through science which i i think to your point i think they're going in a different direction here which is really mm-hmm. interesting and we'll have to wait and see exactly how this is all connected. But I was struck by, in, in episode three, the meeting of that Ennead where one of the the avatars, the god, I believe, 
Which god is it that's speaking through him? Is it Osiris, perhaps? I'm not sure. Is Horus the main god? Or Horus... Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly which one he is. Maybe it's Horus, but he is saying that... Well, Khonshu Con- is saying that avatars aren't enough. We need the might of the gods. And then uh, he's saying that gods don't want to meddle in the affairs of man. So immediately I think of that as being a connection to Eternals post their, you know, completion of their project, at least according to Arisham, right? So, hey, we don't meddle mm-hmm. anymore. But to your point, the whole history of Eternals was that they were meddling and they were influencing. It's fascinating to me. There's there's so much to unpack. And I think you and I are both interested in this question. And maybe as this show closes up, or maybe as we move into the rest of this phase of the MCU, as we see this gore character in Thor, maybe there will be some more clarity to to what's here. And maybe we're overthinking it, but there is definitely something uh, something interesting. And you're, you're kind of the perfect person to, to talk to, I think, when it comes to being able to make connections between what we're seeing here and then, you know, a, a study of, of theology in real life. I think that the Doctor Strange really was the first film that really kind of brought the question of the spiritual realm as a realm mm-hmm. and not as another physical realm where physical things happen, right. you know, and, and the advances in technology, like Dr. Strange's powers, the, 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 the realms in which he, he taps into are explicitly spiritual realms. It's tapped into through spiritual powers, not advanced science. Like you said, right. with Thor, uh, by the way, the, the main God is Osiris. So Osiris, I think that okay. the main God who's like in the center, who's yes. like running the show, the court or something that's Osiris. But, um, but back to what, what you were saying is, um, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I have a certain level of, 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 I mean, it, in terms of my studies, I I've studied theology. I haven't studied the Pantheon, um, too much. Like I'm not an expert in what people would kind of anachronistically call world religions, but sure. I, I study the, the, the kind of systematic, uh, interconnection and histories of, uh, the development of doctrine and, um, philosophy of religion and those kinds of things. So fascinating, um, by the way. <laughs> and so, thank you. I I agree. Yeah. Um. So, like, the questions that I'm asking are like, is something in in this realm in this narrative actually affirming a spiritual realm, an afterlife? However, it's conceived, even if it's conceived poorly, you know, with Thor, it's definitely not. It's it's just like greater and stronger right. beings. Um. Black Panther is an example. I'm so glad you you brought that up earlier because I totally forgot. Like when I talk about that movie, that's like one movie where it's really like he die he dies or he goes into a trance and he talks to his ancestors. Right. And there is a there is a panther there, and that is a manifestation of his god. And so there there is perhaps perhaps that's the other void, right? Like, I mean, perhaps mm-hmm. there, there is a connection there or not. I mean, but it's like this moon night is what I is I'm seeing is more of an aff- affirmation of that realm than, than some, some of the other films. Um, it's not just another dimension and these beings are coming from another dimension. This is a, this is like a question I had, like, like, what's the status of these gods? Do they exist outside of the the, the multiverse, or are there an infinite number of wow. Osiris gods in it? You know what I mean? Because that's yep, that's where you that's that's where you start 
that's where you, the dominoes start falling in terms of their, their status. Like, well, they're all, they're just invisible, really, really powerful beings that live in this realm. That's like underneath the earth metaphorically rather than God, you know? And, and so, and just like the celestials, like the celestials, one must, I, I, I imagine exist infinitely in infinite number of, of dimensions or, or multiversal dimensions or, or realms. Yeah. The words start to fail, but it, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's always a question for me because those are kinds, of, those are the insane questions that I ask. No, no, totally. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's really interesting. Like, like seeing this idea of avatars, like, and, and as the article is kind of think, talking about, like thinking about seeing some of the people who we're seeing as characters, like our characters in the story, seeing them as being the avatars the stand-ins for something of an mm-hmm. otherworldly divine space of some kind, as opposed to Thor, who is himself yeah. that, right, is himself referred to that God as, as that God. So I, I, I do think that that's really fascinating and an interesting area to see where they explore further. And I think it could be really, really rich to unpack in the future. There is also, well, there's something also to this idea of like perception and reality that we really get into Mm. in episode four, but why don't we, why don't we take a few moments to, in thinking about these, these two episodes, episode three and episode four, what are some of the big moments that we haven't necessarily touched on yet that really do stand out, whether they be related to these themes that we are speaking to explicitly or just other fun or important character moments in, in these episodes. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> so mine are, mine are, we've already talked about like big stuff. And mm-hmm. so I just, there are like weird things that happen that I just make me laugh so much. So I, I, I meant to say it at the beginning, but just the way that humor uh, is, is um, strewn throughout the show and it's, it's multiple characters. It's not just, it's usually Steven, but it's not always Steven. Um, but it's, it's woven in so well and it's, it's not, it doesn't, it rarely sacrifices the, 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 the mood of the story. Um, it's usually like writing character and it works like an Indiana Jones film, you know? Um, sure. Uh, except Indiana Jones films are not super serious. Like Moon Knight can be super serious at times. Uh, but the, the, um, the, the first one is like the very beginning of episode three when, you know, Mark is parkouring over the, the, <laughs> the rooftops and he's chasing these guys. And then, and then the fight is, the fight is, is, is a, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not good at analyzing scenes like, like our friend Jude is at MC you need to know, but the way that the camera is working during that fight is really uh, unlike how I'm used to seeing a fight. Mm. But then there's this great scene where the, the guy is just like, he does this ridiculous thing that you've seen in, in like older movies where he like licks his knife. Yes. But like, instead of like finishing it out and like he's menacing, Mark just punches him like three times in the face. It was a very like Indiana Jones moment where, you know, the, the guy, the guy like comes out with the knives and he's like, well, and he makes all these sounds. And then Harrison Ford just pulls out his gun and shoots him. Like it's like, yeah. it's, it just really, that made me laugh. And there's lots of scenes like that. So that's the kind of funny, yeah. that's, the, that's the funny example. That's a great What about one. you from episode? Yeah, that's a great moment of, of, of humor in that fight. And I'm always interested too in how the fights are um, communicating something about character. I've, I've spoken with Jude and Trey about that a lot, uh, the MCU, new, MCU Need to Know hosts that you just referenced. But because um, there's a moment in that fight too, the same fight that you're talking about, where Mark is um, the one 
who he keeps referring to as just a kid where he uh-huh. he's, you know, using his his fists and then he just um, slaps him instead of punching him. And I thought that was really interesting. And he leaves, hesitates. Yeah, he hesitates. Right. And then just kind of, you know, hits him open fisted, which I thought was interesting speaking to. You know, I, what is that, right? Is that kind of Stephen's influence on Mark, right? Stephen, who every time you can see a reflection of him in a knife or something is like, don't do it, don't do it, right? Trying to to make him not, you know, Stephen has this fear of Mark being this violent murderer. Um, or is that really who Mark is? And are we getting hints at there being this third presence, right? Especially with that fight, there's this this back and forth and and losing of time and you have both Mark and Steven saying, no, I didn't do that. I didn't kill that guy. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Is there somebody else here in the mix? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I if you're aware of the comics, you're aware of a third personality right. that that's prominent in, in the story, but also they've been, they've been laying the seeds of it. And it makes me question back in episode one, when that really violent stuff was happening yeah. and, and you just assumed it was Mark. And now I'm like, Oh, maybe, maybe it was, this third character, this third identity. And I'm trying to get better in my language. Um, so, uh, so here it's very much apparent. I think it's very much apparent, but then by the end of episode four, it's clear that there is a third personality locked in locked away. Right. Um, so, um, it's, the question isn't like, if it's when, like, when are we going to see when, when are they going to break out? So, um, yeah, it also makes me wonder too, thinking about these, identities and the extent to which the show is portraying disassociative identity disorder faithfully is it's not something I'm I'm fully aware of and my inclination is to say that probably the show is taking some liberties in its portrayal of DID because it's also a supernatural show so if there is language that that you or I are using that it doesn't feel accurate to or it doesn't isn't accurate to the experience of DID, I would hope um, any listeners who may be aware of that, please do reach out and share. What I'm seeing in terms of the show is this idea of if Mark, if we take the suggestion at the end of episode four, that Mark is the um, and as the Twitter user wrote into me, kind of like the base persona as he is in the co- in the comics then if Stephen does, to what extent does Stephen represent certain aspects of Mark who is who he is, right? <laughs> the Stephen right. who the Stephen who is able to be honest and open with Layla, right? The Stephen who is book smart, the Stephen who is uh, kind of the moral conscious, the don't do it. Is I this mean, other personality? Right? Like who is this other personality? Is he the dark no. one? You just like, this is like, is it, is it just like crass Freudian, like Mark mm. is the ego, oh. Steven is the super ego and this other character is the it. Wow. Maybe I'm really, I'm really mad at myself for, for, for laying that out because it's too obvious. And <laughs> if that's the case, then I'm like, come on, we could have done better than that. But like, cause we've, we've, I'm sorry, like as influential as Freud is, we've moved on. So, um, <laughs> like, I, I think that, um, I would hope that. Because I mean, no matter what, you, you, there's going to be stereotypes and there's going to be like corners cut or narrative choices made. I, I what I like about this is it makes his character is believable. Isn't the right? It's just like um, I can see his humanity. I can empathize and see it's 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 a validating. It's validating. So it's like I I see how Mark Mark is, and then the impact of Stephen. 
I guess, I guess what I want to say is that um, when I first started the show, it was like, this is weird. Um, And like, I don't understand DID and I don't understand how, like I I was wrestling with my own preconceptions. Like there's Mm -hmm. a personality Mm -hmm. and that's the, the main personality and everything else is kind of derived from it. What this has done is, is really destabilize that to say like, Steven is an autonomous person with a, like he is, he is an identity that exists. I don't want to say apart from, but certainly like there's agency as there. free. Yeah. yeah. As, as agent with agency as does Mark. And part of the struggle is, well, Mark has to recognize that he is not alone. Mm. I mean, I'm sorry. Steven has to recognize that he's not alone, that mm-hmm. there's this other personality or this other uh, identity. Mark has to accept that Steven is, is a valid person is, is a valid identity that, that, um, uh, deserves to exist to, to, to some extent, you know? Yeah. So, so like Mark, Mark was like, take, let me take over. You don't matter. I I'm important. I'm the one who's important. I can take control. I can do it. Like his story has been about yielding, giving over control, you know, recognizing that Steven, Steven has agency and is valid. Whereas Stevens is just like come to grips with like his, his kind of sad life is not entirely his fault, you know? And, and then leaning, he basically leans into his personality and he blossoms, True. which is really, it's really sweet. Like, it's almost like Mark was keeping him away from, from that by not, by not validating him. Um, and, and that, that comes up in, in another, like there's this dual trajectory with this relationship between Layla and Mark, which is slowly deteriorating and bottoms out in the tomb when, when Layla basically wants to kill him. Yeah. And then, and then, the, the the alternative arc, which is is like Stephen and Layla, which which culminates in in that kiss, and then further conversations. What did you think of that? I wanted to ask you this: like, what did you think of that moment? The kiss moment. Yeah. Yeah. So I I definitely have Layla thoughts here too uh, related to both of these episodes. She. Yeah. She's interesting the way I think the opening of episode three is really interesting with the fake passports and, you know, getting that glimpse of uh, who she is, Mm -hmm. that she's this kind of reminds me a little bit of what uh, Killmonger says in Black Panther. This, you know, I'm not stealing, right? These relics, they've already been stolen. Um, Mm -hmm. And then almost Robin Hood-esque in a certain way. So she's Mm -hmm. interesting. I do like her as a character. And we see I like the way that you put it, like the relationship with Mark is deteriorating and then there's also then this kind of budding relationship with with steven so okay this kiss moment right so there's her saying you smell like him which is interesting Mm -hmm. um as you said before there is kind of like a thickness to to the energy between the two of them there's this chemistry there there's her clearly being attracted to his um intellect and there is her being attracted to and his conscience yeah the way he's everything that mark really isn't right like she says you know when when steven has that moment of before you know she's trying to kiss him and he's just like no he needs to come clean first and he says mark is Mm -hmm. trying to protect you from khonshu and she says i don't need protection i um i need honesty but that's more of a you thing right i i Mm -hmm. and and he says being honesty right that is clearly the the aspect that she is attracted to here Mm um to me you know it it makes sense uh i don't begrudge like <laughs> i don't begrudge this character these characters having their moment of you know emotional connection and and the connection that that might have to 
more of a, a, a lust type of connection. I, I could understand why that would happen. I think your dog agrees. And, um, <laughs> and no, no, don't be sorry at all. So yeah, so I don't, I don't hate it. Like I, you know, I would argue that we've seen kisses in the MCU that have been, um, more bizarre than this one in terms of what they are metaphorically <laughs> trying to suggest. <laughs> what did you make of it? Um, I, I like how you, you centered Layla. I was gesturing towards it, but like you, you were like, no, no, no. Like, let, and I think, I think that's a helpful because there's big parts of, um, of episode four where it's very much her. She's the driver of the story. Mm-hmm. And also in, in or episode three and then episode four, certainly a lot of it hinges on revelations uh, about her right. and her own struggle. But, um, the first, I gotta be honest, like, so the first time I watched it, the, 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 you smell like him, like they have chemistry and it's Oscar Isaac. So I'm like, I'm like, that makes sense. You know? And I thought it was sweet that he was like, no, you know? And, and so that all made sense to me when, when he kissed her, I was like nails on a chalkboard. I was like, <laughs> that was the most awkward kiss I've ever seen. Oh, I can't believe that. You know, but Steven, so I wrote it off, but then on second watch, I was paying closer attention to the actors and I saw how he went in for the, like, like I've never, I don't think I've ever, um, this is personal. I've never <laughs> kissed anybody like who wasn't expecting it. Like the idea of going in for a kiss without the person expecting it to me is, is horrifying. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I, I don't know. It's my personality. So, so I'm like, Oh, Steven, what are you doing? That, that might be more of me. So when I watched it the second time, I thought it was quite sweet and that she, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as awkward as I remembered. And, and I actually thought it worked. It worked really well. And like, you know, they break off and she, she totally like diverts. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly that like, like she's trying to, she's trying to like, you know, oh gosh, you know, we need a distraction, you know, cause that was too intense or I don't know something, but, um, that was my experience of that. And so I, I, I liked it too, because then they get to have these really sweet moments later when, so he falls into the, into the tomb, which was hilarious. Yes. That was, and great. he's like, you know, I'm aces. And then <laughs> she, they're looking at each other and he says, um, so he's, he, she, he, he looks and it looks like he's looking right at her and <laughs> yes. he goes, Oh, wow. Look at you. And her <laughs> face lights up. Like who doesn't, when you get an attractive, like not attractive, when someone, when someone gives you a compliment and it's Oscar Isaac, of course, um, yeah. but, but she thinks he's talking about her and he's talking about the, the, the carvings on the freaking wall. So, nerdy. so I thought that was great. I yes. thought that was really, really great. That was a fantastic. So you, you get to have mo- moments like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And and to your point before, even that you brought up about the humor, I I think that what I was maybe struggling with a little bit in the first two episodes, as much as I really loved those first two episodes was like the, oh, how is the humor interacting here with the larger tone of the show? I Yeah, I had some questions about the humor in episodes one and two. But I think to your point in episodes three and four, it's integrated a little bit more seamlessly in that you have this moment here with it's so true to Steven's character that he did just have this moment of chemistry and and this kiss with this woman. But now he is not following up on that with like the kind of romantic charismatic comment, but instead is now focused on, on, you know, geeking out over the tomb. So (laughs) I appreciate that character moment. He also says like, wish he hadn't seen that. Like he just had his moment with her and then he falls down. (laughs) He's like, wish he hadn't seen that. Um, it's yeah, great. I, I personally, 
I personally have loved the humor. I thought it's worked very well, like throughout the whole show. So that's, that's my, that's my, um, that's my opinion. And so I just feel like this is, is more of the same. I mean, there's, there's moments that are like, they're funny, but they're not like, um, they're not, uh, they're not like on the surface funny. It's just like, oh my gosh. Like, um, when, when, um, Steven enters into the tomb of Alexander the great and he's like hardcore nerding out like, oh my gosh, that's Macedonian. Holy crap. And Mark, the first time he sees, there's like a, there's like a reflection. So you kissed her. Like yeah. that's like the first <laughs> thing he said. So you kissed her. I thought that was so great. I started cracking up. Oh yeah. That the great juxtaposition, right? He's like, oh man, this has got to be one of the big ones. You kissed her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you man. kissed her. Like he's dead that's serious. Like, he's so good. And even the, um, the, the moment in which he is retrieving the, the Ushtapti from the, sarcophagus of alexander the great which like who knew that this is a sentence we would be saying for this show mm-hmm. but i love it and uh he's like layla look we won <laughs> and the ushapti goes to us it's it's quite like to me that's great like that is that's humor that works because it feels true to the steven character and i think yeah. what i was wondering about not that i didn't like it in the first couple episodes but i was just wondering about that it, um like for example in episode one i believe when there's that bit of physical humor with the scarab, right? That the body is, you know, pulling the scarab in one direction or the other. There were oh, those yeah. moments where I'm like, hmm, like where, where are we going yeah. with this series? Like, is this going to fit in in terms of the tone? And I, I don't have that concern anymore because these moments have been have been great in my opinion. And it sounds like you agree. But it, it totally tracks now, given the very last scene of the episode of episode four. Yes. Like th- th- this, this kind of wacky, just straight out there, crazy, wacky. It has, it's had its moments every, you know, every now and again, we're just like, what, you know, um, Great point. like the cupcake. I mean, the cupcake is a perfect example of this. It's like, why, you know, aside from the fact that it's in the comic, I think it's just like, oh, it's it? okay. totally, it's a strange choice, but it's, it's also hilarious. And then you just kind of let it go. You know, you, we, we get a hippo. Oh my gosh, fantastic. So, all right, you know, we we've been kind of talking about some some moments Dancing. in 3, some moments in 4. We've been kind of going back and forth. Let's look at that last scene of episode 4, that last section of episode 4. And what else did you notice in addition to the cupcakes because there are quite a few visual easter eggs here. So, I I actually I saw a, a video that like highlighted every single thing. It's it's pulling in. Oh, great. And I'm sure you noticed that like it pulls in everything uh, from the show. Um, there's there's actors. All the actors are there. It's it's really fascinating. Um, yeah, there's a lot that I but, noticed, um, but I also feel like there's mm-hmm. probably things that I missed as well. Sure, right. Donna like, was like, great. Um, did you notice that Layla's eating a marshmallow? Yes, which is when we see her with the passport scene too, right? Which. That's of of all this of all the details that one that one stands out to me the most because like I said earlier like I am my question for for like at the very beginning when I knew this was coming because a student kind of spoiled it for me he was he was kind of like oh, um really so if he's listening if shame on you but he was like he was like there's a big twist and I was like oh thanks that means he's good. like in my head because I've watched enough TV to know like he's going to be in a mental hospital um oh, and if you've read the comic funny. like. Okay, yeah, so your, I your brain immediately went there. About. Oh yeah, because 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 okay. if you're familiar with some of the comics, like there's there's a whole storyline where he's in a mental hospital and Conchu's trying to wake him up to get him to to go out, and people oh. are helping him. Um, so my question is like, what's the 
what's the what's the the, the what's the ontology of this place? What is the is this place sub, substantively real or is it a is it a psychic manifestation as he's dying? Um, you know, I, it leans for me. It leans more towards um, this is this is a place in his mind that that he where he's kind of existing and certain things are impinging on it like this like this god at the end um but um because i certainly don't think they're going to say that like oh this sh- none of the show has been taking place it's all in a mental hospital i don't think that's what's happening here okay. but like is this an alternate realm um in like in the sense that like i was kind of imagining this like because conchu's not dead he's just entombed mark is still his avatar and so he's got some sort of like like latent, you know, I can't die kind of powers left. And this is the manifestation of that. Like, yeah, his body's like drowning and dead, but like his, his consciousness is preserved. And then he's got to try to figure out whatever, you know, or, or, you know, that uh, anyway, the marshmallow is an interesting detail because he never saw her eat the marshmallow. Everything else he saw, he saw the cop, he he saw the, his boss, um, you know, the fish like everything like that but the marshmallow that that was that's only from her so i thought that was weird and i don't know if i'm making too much of a detail the curtains are blue that's what Trejo says <laughs> no, <laughs> the that's curtains a are point. just blue i yeah. hadn't considered that i i noticed her eating the marshmallow but i didn't make that connection that like to your point like we have seen some of the show from the pov of Layla and from the POV yeah. of Arthur Harrow. And so therefore, I, I don't think there's a suggestion the whole show has been within within his head. Right. I'm I'm struck by the comparison to an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Normal Again. Are you familiar with it? You got I'm bad with episode titles, so remind me <laughs> a little bit. Sorry, sorry, listeners, spoilers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and I and I know that I have spoken about that show in great detail before, but and I won't say too much about it, but there's an episode in season six of Buffy where it flashes back and forth between her dealing with a demon, as she usually does, a monster of the week in a, in a, in a way, and then these um, images of her in a mental hospital. Oh, I totally remember this. And yeah. yes, I'll let you, I'll let, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, but we see, we see, it's a great episode too, because we see characters like her mother who, again, spoilers for... Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Don't feel guilty. The show's like 20 years old. <laughs> but her mother who has has died, right, in, in the run of the series, and even her mm-hmm. father, who we haven't seen mm-hmm. glimpses of since, like, I haven't rewatched Buffy in a few years. I know it so well, but like, when's the last time we saw glimpses of her father? Maybe season two, right? Like they had they had divorce. Anyway, so like we see these glimpses, and it's like this other world in which Buffy is just this girl who is in a mental institution, and this right. whole these whole delusions of grandeur. Um, that's that. That's what they've been. That's what she's being told, right? These are delusions of yeah. grandeur. You keep talking that you're the slayer, and it's actually you know the bad guys of the season who have summoned this demon to to make her think this, right? Um, and the episode ends in such a way that it kind of leaves you thinking like, whoa, what if this whole show was just in her head? But like, obviously it's not that, although they kind of want to leave it up to interpretation. I feel like here in Moon Knight, it's not, it's obviously not no. that, right? In fact, if anything, I think it's it's definitively the opposite. This is yeah. in the same way that it, it was in Buffy, right? Like this is the villain here using a a some type of, well, 
maybe not, but my, one of my interpretations is like, this is the villain using this kind of like gaslighting type technique to just be like, no, 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 you're, yeah, you're just, you're struggling, right? Yeah, you're in this, this, this is where you're at. I think, well, I think A, he was definitely shot. And so I don't know if that's actually Harrow mm. speaking to him or a manifestation, but what Harrow says to him, I think is really important. And that was one of my highlight highlighted moments. Yes. Um, because he says, he says, um, about the material world and the psychic world. Yes. And I'm, I'm like, what is he getting at here? And, and he says, uh, it's almost like he's there. Yeah. Um, we don't live in a material world. We live in a psychic world. We can only make indirect inferences about reality. Mm. It's a question of context and perspective. Um, I, I immediately cast that in moral terms. Okay. Because his, his whole thing is he gaslights you. So he tells you the truth, right? And he's like, oh, a pen. To me, a pen, I write with it, but to a dog, it's a chew toy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but like you, you justify everything based on, based on what you need or want, uh, uh, you know, versus like what's actually good or evil. Um, and, and so I feel like that's playing in there. That's my philosophical brain working. I don't know if that's actually what they're doing, but like, that's what I think of when I hear statements like, we live in a psychic world. We only make indirect inferences about reality. Like there is no reality. It's just a question of context and perspective. There is no truth, you know, mm. except for what I make it, you know? And, and, but I mean, that, that kind of connects back a little bit to, I mean, Harrow's character speaks the truth, but it's always with, with a, with a malintent, always with a malintent. And, um, he's, he's, he's fascinating. So I think this, this kind of, um, it reinforces that for me. I always love that, that trope or that, that conceit. There's something to, right. So kind of thinking about how do we interpret this, this mental hospital and this landscape, which I, I think you and I are both on the same page of like, this is kind of clearly something happening in his head. And in that, that Buffy direction of like, well, this is something that the villain is making him see versus, well, he's shot. And so maybe this is an actual experience of dying and seeing the light, so to speak, or, or, or do we go toward remembering back to episode one, when that little girl in the museum is talking to him about like, um, like when he died or the field of reeds, right? Yeah. Is this a connection to that, right? Has this been foreshadowed all along this idea of almost a, a purgatorial type space? That's, that's interesting to think of too. And yeah, we, we kind of already spoke to that moment in which he is embracing himself, right? Where we see Mark <laughs> and Steven embracing, which is so, so powerful. There's, there's also something here and I know I'm going in a few different directions, but the movie, the, the tomb buster. Oh <laughs> film, yeah. Uh, and what that may or may not be saying about how fiction shapes us uh, is, is fascinating as well. Life and art and art and life. And I don't know. Did you That's make anything so, of such that? a delightful, I thought the episode was ending. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, the the um, the TV bars show up. You know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's a it's a it's a old format television show. So, I, and the the only other place we've seen that done is Wandavision. Yes. And so I thought that was very cool. And then um, it was just so delightful. Like I guess we know what happened to Multibana or whatever. You know, and and, and the cheesy lines and it, it's it's. I don't know if we'll see him again, but what I find with these kinds of things, because I like, like I've said, I, I watch Lost. I mean, we watch the MCU and we make we make hay over 
the smallest things, mm-hmm. whether or not it actually plays out. This this is kind of very intentionally a symbolic realm, um, and and so I think there's there's kind of an element of like clearly there's story happening here and there's character development happening here, but I think there's also a level of fun that the uh, writers are having that that we don't need to like. I don't know how important it's going to be for the for the future of this story. I think we're going to get back to Egypt and like resolve things. So to sp- you, you know what I mean? I do know what um, you mean. But I, 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 I'm not sure. It's funny that like Stephen Grant is the the um, the adventurer uh, in the movie. Yes. I wonder if I wonder if that's an actual. That must be it, Tara. That's an actual movie that Mark watched as a child. Hmm. Like, does that movie exist in his imagination or is it a real movie that he watched as a child and part of the birth of his, his, um, his s- separate identity in Stephen Grant was, was modeled after that's interesting. That, that person. Very, I, I, that just occurred to me. Yeah. So I don't know. Certainly shades of WandaVision there. Right. And that's something that yeah. I'm interested in, right. The way in which fiction and engaging with fiction, you know, has an impact yeah. on how people deal with trauma. Um, that's fascinating to think about. And mm-hmm. to your point about like, is this just a bit of fun? You know, when we have the the goddess uh, ta- Tawaret uh, with, the, with the hippo head and just like <laughs> the way she just comes out and just says hi in that really high pitch voice that I don't, I wasn't expecting. And they scream. I mean, nothing can be more. It, it, it's, it leaves you intrigued. It leaves you wondering. It, it could signify something big, but also it's hilarious and weird. And, you know, to the, you sent me an article earlier today. They were like, how do we get the hippo in the show? Right. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally the writer's room. Like, okay, we know what we're doing here, but how do we get a hippo in this, in this show? (laughs) Like that's, that's, that's like the level, that's the level that they were at. Right. I definitely get that feeling in a lot of different movies that I, that I've watched over the years where it's like, I'm pretty sure they just wanted to make this happen and and everything else birthed from that. You know, whether it was something really profound or something really wacky and this is you you reverse engineer it, right? One of my one of my standout scenes from episode 4 is the yell. I, I replayed it a few mm-hmm. times because it's it you know, it's Oscar Isaac, but like it's two Oscar Isaacs and mm-hmm. they they both react in their Mark and Steven ways. Like like Steven is like recoils and starts backing up and grabbing onto the bed. And Mark just like screams. And, and I think Steven's is notably higher pitched yeah. than Mark's. <laughs> so it's, it's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> Cause how else would you react oh my when God. confronted with a massive talking hippo? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's truly, truly wonderful. And, and to your point too, about how like reverse engineering a little bit, like, it does raise questions for me, okay, that we have this this hippo goddess who is like bizarre and cool to look at and and maybe, you know, admittedly on the part of the writers, like they wanted to incorporate that. And we see the stuffed animal of, of her in the first episode. Um, but she That's is right. also mm-hmm. the goddess of um, fertility, right? Or and or mm-hmm. childbirth or something to that extent. And mm-hmm. we do we do also have this this um, you know, in the first couple episodes. Stephen's uh, interactions with, you know, his phone calls to his mother, the voicemails. And so, you know, yes. to what extent are we going to kind of see that come back and be um, and be meaningful in some way? I guess we we shall wait and see. <laughs> um, I was I was going to say that um, 
where my mind went when I learned that 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 goddess is a goddess of fertility is is the idea of rebirth because mm. Mark is dying. Oh, great! So I'm like, of course, like Makes the goddess sense. of rebirth is coming to like like help him out a little bit. So she's like, Hey, <laughs> like I'm, I'm here to help, you know? So that's kind of where my, of my course. Mind no, that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. And then, um, even earlier in that episode, there's the whole discussion of the eye of Horus and how that protects you in the afterlife. So, so you're right. There's kind of, um, yeah. rebirth afterlife are, are definitely things that are, that are coming up here. Is there anything, I mean, Certainly, there's a lot in both episodes three and four. And I think we've talked about a lot, but are there any other moments, big, small, or otherwise, that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure we mention? Just the the last one is the, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I loved the scene with the the monster crawling yeah. around on the, on the, I thought he was done. Then he comes back and Creepy. then you think he's done. And then he grabs her from the, from the, grabs her twice. Like that was so great. And then she fights it. Um, that was very scary. It was very ring, you know, whatever, like weird beings crawling on all fours. Oh, it's the totally. idea of a, of a, of a massive, you know, person being able to crawl around on the ceiling where I can't see it is, is very, very disturbing to me. I don't know. I don't even know why, but it's like your expectation is people are going to come from beneath you or at your eye level. So the idea that something could be cl- climbing on the wall right behind you because they're not on the ground is, is terrifying. Totally terrifying. And I, I noted that scene too. I, I thought that was a really, I thought it was a really great action scene. God. Yeah. He was so creepy that, that creature and the fight was really intense. Like the jump scares there, as you mentioned, and she takes him out like a total boss. So that was pretty yeah. cool. Layla's awesome. Yeah, she is. I, I really like her a lot. And I, I, maybe the only other scene that we didn't touch on as much, I mean, we didn't really touch on all of, um, the middle end of episode three, we kind of talked around it, but like Mark and Layla on the boat. And I thought that that was beautiful oh, yeah. visually and the music and um, kind of that, that connection between sad. the two of them. Very sad, very sad. There's a Madripoor mention in that episode too, yes. which I thought was interesting. But in the meantime, if we're looking ahead, we've got episode five and episode six left for this series. What are the biggest questions that you have or predictions that you might have or things that you hope to see? Sure. Um, so I got three. One is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to pay off. So this isn't much of a prediction, but um, we're going to see his third identity mm-hmm. uh, in some way, shape or form. I don't think it's going to be in that mental hospital realm because they teased it. Um, right. The, with the sarcophagus. And so I, the rollout, yeah, the rollout's really, really fascinating because we've had indirect, you know, notions that, that, this third person, this third identity is here, um, you know, in their, in their gaps in time. And then here it's like literally that box that it's, there's somebody in there. And, and then, so I'm hoping we'll see it. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is, you know, and I, I expect to, to, to learn this too. What's the status of this realm that he's in right now? Like what, what is his, is, is, is all of this just his own psyche feeding back into him? Like hearing from Harrow, hearing from Layla, talking to himself, like talking, Mark talking to Steve. And then obviously the goddess is, is an incursion, but you know, what's the status of that? And then the third one is, um, and I don't know how much more we're going to learn about this, but I want, I want to know more about the other void and the gods. The fact that they are invisible to all except their avatars is, is very interesting. 
Like even the avatar of Khonshu can't see the other gods. He can only see Khonshu. Right. So I think that's, I think it's, it's, um, it's a fascinating take. It's fresh. We've, we haven't really seen this in the MCU before. Um, so I, I want, I, I want to know more. So that, that's my, my biggest one. I hope that, I hope that I'll see that. And then just like, you know, I have no idea where the story's, I mean, on, on some level it's like, you know, we'll see Amit, you know, they'll, th- I think they'll resurrect Amit, you know, and it'll yes. be terrible. Um, is he going to defeat the villain? What does that even look like? Given, given that Harrow is such a, he's a psychological villain. It's, it's very much, he, he, he's got his morality that's, that's locked tight. Um, and he's, his, his weapons are these, these psychic daggers, you know, mm. into his opponents that just mess them up. So, so much, you know, they mess them up so much that it's almost like they want, I, I love Layla's reaction to his digging because she, she steals herself. Um, and she takes it out on Mark later. because She's, she's angry with him, but like he, he does his business and, 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 and by telling her about his dad, her dad, and, right. and Mark was there and she's like, Mark did it. And he was like, you said it. And I'm like, well, she, he obviously didn't do it <laughs> or else you would just say it, you know, you can only speak the truth. And so, but she's just like, she says something really flippant, like be seeing you or something. I can't remember, but she just like, she, she brushes him off, which is like the right approach, totally, yeah. <laughs> but I'm excited to see how, how the resolution of the villain, like where that, what that looks like. Yeah, me too. And, and, you know, there's always been these kind of critiques about the final episodes of these MCU series or even the third act in the MCU movies of like, oh, okay, like big fight with the big bad. Um, And I wonder the extent to which this show might subvert that, because Mm -hmm. I think we are acknowledging that there's a lot of differences, even though we have moved toward, generally speaking, in the MCU, a lot, a lot more of... um, conceptual ideas of what what the what a villain is or to your point with something like WandaVision like okay yeah we have Agatha um but we also have this idea of grief or mm-hmm. and we, we're seeing that come up in, in some of the other installments here so I wonder the extent to which we might still have that big third act battle or and or something else and uh if I guess if I had any one kind of prediction that I might make I would think that coming off of what a, a bizarre twist ending of episode four with that hippo goddess and, <laughs> and Mark and Steven together, I feel like we're going to start off episode five with either Layla in Cairo, with which will be our grounding, our yeah, yeah our grounding kind of force to, okay, this is what's actually happening, right? It, it's not like this is all in his head, or maybe some type of flashback. And I do think that there's more to that story with her father and um and Mark. Oh, I think we'll see her father. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the description, like that fuchsia scarab pattern. Yeah. That was way too specific Great for point. us not to it's gonna we're gonna see it. So before we wrap up here today, are there any other thoughts that you have on your mind related to Moon Knight or anything else coming up with the MCU that you would like to share before the next time that we talk to you here on the show, Daniel? <laughs> well, um, it's not technically a part of the MCU, but Jude and I are spinning off um, for a, a limited release podcast for now. And we're going to look at the um, the Disney Plus series Obi Wan that's coming out in the Star Wars universe. This so, is such exciting news! <laughs> so if if that's something that you all are interested in, um, then 
uh, we'll, we'll drop it, um, in, into feeds and we'll send out, um, uh, we'll send out some, some information. So the title of the, uh, podcast is, uh, called star Wars, a podcast. This is, and you can find us on Twitter at, at a star Wars pod, and we'll have other, you know, social media things and stuff like that. But we'll, we'll also probably, um, pop into the MCU need to know feed. Um, and, um, I'll make sure that, you know, I share it and stuff like that. But, um, basically, you know, uh, we're, we're not going to do like a, a hard recap, like, like we, like you see with, with Trey and Jude, um, we're, we're more thinking, you know, we pick out a couple of things that we really like, and then focus on some of the, the cinematic or, or film elements. Cause it's something that Jude and I really like any big ideas we have. We're both really big, um, Star Wars fans. And so we're just excited to, to kind of share our love for that and talk about it. I know one element that we're um, interested in, in, in incorporating is, um, offering kind of suggestions in the extended universe beyond the films in, in the television shows and books and comic books, um, and video games that, that connect up with the story because, um, ever since Disney acquired star Wars, they've, they've, uh, created, they've kind of created a box around certain elements, uh, in the extended universe and called that Canon. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it, uh, is called legends. And there's a lot of really good material in the legends universe. Um, but at a certain point they, that, that stopped being quote Canon. And then the, the newer stories or the stories that fall within that are, are kind of part of that Canon. So we're, we're kind of excited to, to share that uh, to share that. And that'll be a limited run. We're going to do that show and then see where it goes from there. Uh, but thank you for giving me an opportunity to plug that. I'm so excited about this. I'm also a Star Wars fan. I'm a big fan of Obi-Wan. And I'm also obviously someone who enjoys hearing from you and of course, hearing from Jude at MCU Need to Know. So this is great news. And I, I can't wait to hear what you guys make of of that series. And I, I I can't help but bringing this up, but for for if your fans are on the fence, uh, if you're a fan of Loki, I can't shut up mm. about this. The 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 composer that they brought, so everyone knows that John Williams, classic, you know, um, but he's getting up there in, in years and he's not working as much. He he composed the a new theme for Obi-Wan. So I just learned this. He never composed a light motif for Obi-Wan Kenobi. He didn't, he, oh. he never, he never composed a specific light motif for Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's not in the, in the, the movies that much. Right. Um, and, and um, so I, I was like fascinated by this. So he created a specific uh, light motif for Obi-Wan Kenobi with uh, our, our favorite, my favorite composer in the MCU, Natalie Holt, Natalie who did the Holt. music for Loki. And so she is, she is, uh, this news dropped yesterday, I think. And so everyone's making head of it. The first, um, the first woman to be a star Wars composer, which I think is kind of ridiculous, but anyway, um, I mean, it's been John Williams and maybe Giacchino. I think he, did he do the, the, the newer ones? Um, and then I think someone else did rogue one. I'm not sure, but like, I think they couldn't have picked a better, better person to, uh, to, to, to do this. So I'm very excited about that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, she's amazing. I I think Giacchino yeah. did uh did Rogue One, and I'm Force not in- Awakens. Like he's buddies with J.J. Abrams, so they uh, okay. Yeah, but uh, th- this is great news. Uh, well, on both mm-hmm. on both counts, great news that Natalie Holt is working for for Obi Wan and 
great news that you and Jude will be doing a a podcast <laughs> series on it. So, Daniel, I can't thank you enough. You are always such a, a pleasure to have here on There Was an Idea, and I hope that you know your new your newfound fame with the Star Wars pod won't keep you away <laughs> for too long. Right. Um, because I, I look forward to continuing to have these conversations with you uh, about the world of the MCU. So on that note, we will wrap up here today. Thank you again, Daniel. Thank you so much, CK. I love being on and I look forward to talking with you again. If you enjoyed this conversation about episodes three and four of Moon Knight, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to this podcast and to MCU Need to Know to hear more appearances from Daniel. And you can check out his upcoming show, A Podcast This Is, at A Star Wars Pod on Twitter. Artwork by Brooke Pender and music by Demeter Salvia. You can find their information in the show notes. Thank you for listening and stay tuned next week for a discussion of episode five of Moon Knight.